Thank you. Morning, Mercy House. Merry Christmas Eve to all. How's everybody doing this morning? Good? Well? Wasn't too cold? No? Not cold enough? Yeah, spring's right around the corner, right? No, not really. Kind of in the thick of winter. <clears throat> so my name is Tommy. Uh, I'm really happy to be with you this morning. Glad you could make it here to Christmas Eve. And, uh, you know, Christmas Eve is, is really special. I, I think that I can remember being a kid, or maybe, you know, even now, uh, but especially as a kid, there was no other day in the year that would rival the, the amount of anticipation and suspense that would come with Christmas Eve. And, and I don't mean for any like super spiritual deep reason, right? As a kid, I, I think it was exciting because it was the day before Christmas when in 24 long hours I'd finally see if all my subtle hinting and my good behavior actually paid off in the gifts that I'd want for Christmas. Uh, I, was, I was super blessed as a kid growing up uh, and my parents lavished my sister and I and, and they still do uh, to this day. So Christmas Eve was always a really special time because I knew that I was, I was going to be really blessed the next day. And, and I think for, for all of us, the, the culture of Christmas can be really exciting. Even if you're not a Christian, this time of year can, can really be exciting. Businesses, shops all around the world start doing really special things, and, and, and it's unique to this season of the year. So between the music that you start hearing and, and the cookies that you get to eat, the tree that you put in your house, the eggnog, the fires that you start having, the, just the time with family and, and the parties, the, the gadgets and the toys that you might start getting for Christmas, what's, what's really not to like about this season of Christmas? It, it's, it's a great time of year. Um, and, and I think that if we can be honest for a second though, this excitement and, uh, and, and, and happiness that surrounds the, the Christmas season. It's so special, um, and it's such an exciting time for the majority of us because of the things that we get to do during the season and the things that we get during the season. If we can be honest, right? Christmas season's a lot of fun because of all the special things that are going on that are very specific to the Christmas season. And so each year, right? If we're believers, if we're coming to church on Christmas Eve, we're met with the Christmas story over and over and over and over again every single year. And I'd imagine, if we can be honest, if we can continue being honest, that the amount of daydreaming at church on a Christmas Eve service probably surpasses daydreaming on any other Sunday throughout the year, right? Because there are so many beautiful distractions on this specific day before Christmas. I know as a kid, I was looking out the window, daydreaming about all the toys I would have the next day, and the eggnog, and, and the Christmas party later on that day. I mean, there were lots of things that would have my brain uh, distracted from the Christmas story. And so, nevertheless, the story of, of what has happened and, and what will happen um, is still told every single Christmas Eve. Each Christmas, we're met with the, the Christmas promise by God. Um, and we have this chance to enter into the celebration of that promise that God makes for us. And so our hope this morning, uh, with this morning service and tonight's service, is really to engage all of us into, uh, into celebration of that promise, that Christmas promise. And this isn't meant to condemn us or make us feel bad if, if we enjoy other aspects of this season. Look, there are lots of parts of Christmas that are good and awesome and really, really great to, to get caught up in and, and, and to enjoy this really special season. Um, so this isn't just a campaign to, to put Christ back into Christmas for the sake of just religiosity, right? Um, 
But when our joy, when our hope and, and our excitement is, is put into what it's designed to be put in to this season, we can have even greater joy and, and greater excitement and, and, and have a greater sense of anticipation than we do when, when we think about just the toys that we'll get bored with or the songs uh, that just get annoying over time and that tree that just ends up back into the woods in a couple weeks anyways. There's a greater joy and a greater anticipation that's available to us this morning, this season. And so to, to do this, we're going to go back, right? Most Christmas Eve services start with the birth of Jesus because that's what Christmas is all about. But this morning, um, by that long text reading, you'll see that we're actually looking even further back at, at the birth of another person. And not even the birth of that person, but kind of the story behind his birth, uh, focusing on the, the, the story of this man named Zachariah. Zachariah. And so Zechariah, as we'll see, he, he's told a Christmas promise. He's given the Christmas story just like we are today. And I think what we'll see is whether or not that, does he celebrate in it or does he not celebrate in it? Where is his heart as he's told the Christmas story, kind of like we are this morning? So let me say another prayer for us, and we'll jump into the text. God, thank you for uh, this season. Lord, thank you for the, the joy that we get to have and, and the, the fellowship and um, and just, just what this season um, has meant for, for each of us and, and our families, Lord, I, I pray that, that this morning as we look at your word that you would reveal to us uh, a greater joy than, than just the trinkets of tomorrow, God. Um, that you would build our anticipation um, and our hope in, into your promise um, and, and your Christmas story. And we love you, God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the beginning of the passage, starting in verse 5, it's going to be on the screen behind me. Uh, it says, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. So advanced in years there means they're old, right? So they, that's like the politically correct saying of, uh, you know, you're, you're really old. Um, and, and we start off here, we, we get a glimpse into who Elizabeth um, and Zechariah are. But when you look at this text, it's significant because there's been 400 years between the last time we hear God speaking to Israel. And this is the beginning of the gospel account. So let that sink in a bit. If we've had any type of relationship with God, I think we've probably experienced some, some dry seasons with the Lord, Right? Perhaps we felt kind of distant from God or, or haven't felt his presence in prayer or reading his word. Um, we, we might be in a season like that right now, but it, it would never really compare to the complete silence that Israel experiences that, that lasted 400 years. We're talking generations of families. But despite this silence, we see two faithful followers of God, Zechariah and Elizabeth. And, and Luke describes them as being righteous before God and walking blamelessly in all of the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Zechariah and Elizabeth aren't just cultural followers um, of God. They, they don't just wear the t-shirt and kind of say the right things and are at the right place at the right time. See, their life is marked by an, an impeccable spiritual discipline and obedience um, to all that God had commanded to their great, 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 great grandparents, right? That's the life of faith that they're living out. So how many of us, right, how, how many of us can say that we follow the commandments blamelessly? 
Not a lot of us, but they could, right? Zechariah and Elizabeth followed the commandments blamelessly. And so we have this little insight into kind of where they're at spiritually and, and religiously, um, and it's looking pretty good for Zechariah and Elizabeth. But we're confronted with this problem, um, and this problem is even in their faithful obedience to God, Elizabeth was barren. She, she couldn't conceive a child, um, and, and this would have been a, a very painful reality for them to, to face every single day. Uh, because during this time, a, a child meant having a future. It, it meant being taken care of in old age, but then also being able to pass on your family name and your legacy. Your, your very future would be in your children. But for Zachariah and Elizabeth, they, they couldn't have this. And they were getting old, and their future, their legacy, uh, it, was, it was looking pretty bleak. But even in this, as they were experiencing this, this pain, they, they continued to be faithful to God, e- even with this heavy sadness that could so easily for them brew up resentment and bitterness toward God, uh, they didn't allow that to happen, and they continued to trust and to follow God. So I think the one truth that we can extrapolate from this is, is that faithful obedience to God, even a blameless obedience to God, um, does not in and of itself create solutions to worldly problems. It doesn't create solutions to worldly problems because there's no contractual agreement where God says, if you follow me, um, I'll give you children, I'll give you a future, I'll give you comfort, and I'll give you safety here on earth, right? That's the agreement. You follow me, and I'll give you all of those things. There is no contractual agreement like that, and Zachariah and Elizabeth get this, and we see that because they they continue to devote their lives to God um, despite being given a child, something that they long for, something that they want, something that, that in a worldly sense they need to survive, but they're not given that, but they continue to worship and follow God. What they demonstrate in a very godly way is a faithful obedience that, that is mutually exclusive from their physical circumstances, completely mutually exclusive and not connected at all to their physical circumstances, and that's something that we can look up to today uh, because it's something that is not easy to do. The reality is that just like Zachariah and Elizabeth, we too um, are often faced with circumstances and scenarios that, that cannot be resolved by anything in our own power, right? We're met with these, uh, the, these circumstances, and, and, and whether it's by us trying to use just brute problem solving or, or maybe um, intense religious devotion, no matter how much of those two we combine together or do exclusively, there are circumstances that we cannot change by our own power. And we might encourage, um, obviously, to, uh, to continue in our spiritual devotion, and, and we'll challenge ourselves as a church to grow in our, be- in our obedience and our faith, but, but it's never with the stipulation that such behavior can get us anything more out of God than, than just God himself. That's not something you'll ever hear preached here at Mercy House. Blessings, good things, um, they're not purchased by God or purchased from God. Um, they're, they're, not, they're not bought from God. So my two-year-old daughter, she, she doesn't do anything to deserve food, shelter, toys, or, or fun times, or, or, or anything that we give to her. She'll never have to earn those things from us as her parents. There's nothing that she actually could do as a two-year-old to compensate me for the ways that we provide for her. Uh, nothing she could do could, could make her deserve being taken care of as our daughter. 
And so when we talk about spiritual devotion and faithful following of God, we don't do those things so that we can indebt God to us or to earn blessings from him. See, this is what it means uh, when James says in James 1.17 um, that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. So any gift, any blessing, any good, wholesome thing that we ever receive um, always has been and always will, will be an unmerited, gracious gift from God. That's what a, a gift is. <coughs> That's what grace is. Receiving something that you just don't deserve or, or can't even deserve if you tried to. And Zachariah and Elizabeth, they're about to experience some pretty serious grace. So going on in the passage in verse 8, no, while he was serving as priest before God, when, uh, sorry, now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have <coughs> excuse me, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before them in spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just uh, to make ready for the Lord a, pe a people prepared. <coughs> Excuse me. Zechariah is chosen by lot, <clears throat> which basically means there's a lottery system um, and, and, and in this lottery system, he's chosen um, to have one of the greatest honors available to a priest. And at this time, there would have been 20,000 other priests uh, serving in the temple. And, and Zechariah is chosen at, at random, right? So chosen at random to enter uh, into an incredibly exclusive area of the temple to burn incense and pray in the presence of God himself. This is, this is a very big deal. It's literally a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for Zechariah. So if you want to talk about anticipation and excitement, right, like this is it. Um, hundreds of people would be waiting outside, and they're kneeling, and, and their hands are out in prayer, and, and they're waiting as Zachariah goes into this, this place, and, 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 and there would be, thank you for the water, um, there would be complete silence all around, and, and the entire temple outside would just, would just be waiting. Be, they would be prayerful. They, m many of them would be on their knees with their hands out like this, just waiting for God's response after um, Zechariah prays to him. And there would be complete silence. And inside the place of burning incense, for the, for the past 400 years, there would also be complete silence. There, there wasn't a response from God for 400 years. Not a single word until this day for Zechariah. So this is pretty significant for Zechariah. And as Zechariah is inside the tent praying, right, I would imagine he is expecting a response, right? Um, but instead of uh, a, just a voice, he sees an angel. An angel appears. Um, and if you know anything about angels in scripture, when they appear, it is terrifying because their first words are always, hey, don't be afraid. I'm not here to kill you, <laughs> right? That's always their first words. 
when they appear. So terrifying experience. He's praying. Um, there's always been silence traditionally. Zechariah sees an angel. Um, the angel says, don't be afraid. And the, the angel tells him amazing news. The angel says, your prayer has been heard. Which, if we can pause for a second, um, Zechariah's job is to be praying for all of Israel at this point. So when he's told that, I would imagine that he's thinking about a prayer for all of Israel, but the angel is actually giving him a very specific personal prayer that's being answered to that he probably wasn't praying about in that exact moment, right? Because his duty at that point would be to be praying for all of Israel, not his, his personal issues at that, at that point. So we have this moment where Zachari- Zachariah is being told by an angel, your, your prayer, no, your prayer. The, the prayer that you pray by yourself in secret, deep at home when you're, when you're anxious and scared and worried and, 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 and just heartbroken, that prayer, Zachariah, has been answered. You and your wife Elizabeth, um, your, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, and for he will be great before the Lord. And so he goes on and tells them about who this son is that they're going to have. So this 400-year silence from God is finally broken. And it's broken with a promise that Elizabeth and Zechariah will have a son. Can you imagine, right? So Zechariah's in there. Not only has the silence been broken from God, but it's been broken in such a way that it is a, a very personal, specific answer to prayer. And it's not just that Elizabeth and Zechariah will have a son. What, what's more than that is that the son is not going to be just some ordinary kid, right? It's not like, hey, you asked for a son, God's going to give you a son. No, this is a very, very special kind of son. He's going to be the spark that ignites the final chapter of God's story of redemption for mankind, right? So this prayer just got, like, blown up, right? This, I assure you, this is not what they were asking for when they were asking for a son from God. They weren't like, can you just give us, like, the boy who's going to usher in, like, the new, like, the final redemption plan from God? No, they're like, just give us a son. He doesn't have to be that smart, you know? He doesn't have to be good. Just give us, and we'll take anything at this point. I mean, talk about grace. And I joked about how I'd give subtle hints for gifts when I was a kid, but I definitely did it, right? Anybody else give, try to like, no, nobody? Okay, so I was the only person <laughs> who gave subtle hints. I, I, I wrote letters to Santa when I was really little, um, and I'm sure that, that I'm guilty of even praying, right, in my, in my little eight-year-old head, um, <clears throat> praying for, specifically, I remember asking for this remote control car um, that would drive, like, right side up and upside down. You guys ever remember? And, like, it would flip over and it would keep on going, and I thought it was so cool. And the amount of grace and lavishness, right, if we pull it back to the story, the amount of grace and lavishness that God shows Zachariah and Elizabeth in their prayers for her son um, would be like, if on Christmas morning, right, I'm asking for a remote ca- control car, um, but I didn't find that under the tree. What I found would be this, right? So I go outside, and I see this in the driveway. All right, so this is a Bugatti Chiron, and this is a world record video showing it's zero to 400 kilometers, in, uh, kilometers per hour back to zero. That's 250 miles an hour.
This is a real car that you can buy for $3 million, okay? I could watch that video all day, just like <laughs> on loop and, and on repeat. The, the, <laughs> the overwhelmingness of getting that when I asked for an RC car starts, starts playing into the excitement, uh, just the sheer grace that's being poured out on Zachariah and Elizabeth when they ask for a son and they're, they're being told what they're actually going to be receiving. Um, Zachariah and Elizabeth asked for a son um, just to love and, and to continue their, their family name and their family legacy. What, what they're getting, right, is a son that would prepare the way for the Savior of the world that was promised since the beginning of time. They, they didn't get it because they were really religious, uh, because they were really obedient, or, or they were really faithful. This is not a story that says, hey, they were blameless, so look what they got. This is not a, they made Santa's list, so this is what they got on Christmas morning. No, this is God's grace being poured, poured out onto them to bring healing and change in an area of their life that there was no other human uh, remedy or ability to resolve, no other way to fix the problem. Does that sound familiar to any other themes in Scripture? Being given a solution that no man could come up with? I mean, it's, it's the gospel. If you've been with us this past semester going through Deuteronomy, it's been the story of God's, God showing us grace by transforming our hearts and making us right with him, not as a result of religious piety or intense devotion to him, but as a gift of his grace when we believe in his word, when we believe in the gospel, when, when we believe in his promise to us. So for Zechariah, as we look back in the story, how do you think Zechariah responds to this gospel, this promise, this, this news? Let's look. Verse 18, And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these take place, these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden. <clears throat> so Zechariah's response to this amazing news, this promise from God, is doubt. He doesn't, he doesn't believe that it's going to happen. See, he's told the story of what's going to happen, um, and he lines it up with his circumstances, nam namely that he and his wife are super old at this point. And so he says, how, how are these things going to come into play? How, how are they actually going to happen? How do I know that this is really what's going 
to happen. And Zachariah's response, it, it isn't crazy, right? Um, it's actually pretty reasonable. Remember that even though Zechariah is religious and, and he's actually a priest, so um, he, he would be one of the most religious people at this time, Israel hasn't heard a peep from God in over 400 years. 400 years. So if he's met with this crazy experience, he has no frame of reference personally for hearing from God. When Zechariah hears from God, um, it's not something that that him or Israel is used to at this point. They've just heard stories that have been passed down from generation to generation to generation to generation about how God used to interact with Israel. But that's what they are to so many in Israel at this point, including Zechariah. Just, just stories. Stories that have been told to them by their parents, parents, and their parents, parents, parents. And I think on Christmas Eve, we might find ourselves in a very similar place to Zechariah. And we're reminded of this promise that is tied to the birth of Jesus. That sin and death would, would ultimately be defeated in this tiny little baby that is born on Christmas Day. That our relationship with our Creator would finally be restored through this little baby. And that, that we'll one day live in perfect union with God for all of eternity in this new kingdom because of this little baby on Christmas Day. So when we're told these things, and I'm not an angel, um, but we might be met with the same response as Zechariah, which is, how can these things be? How could, how could this little baby bring that much significance into the world? Zechariah was a follower of God. He, he was obedient to God. Um, he read his Bible. He, he would pray daily. Um, he was a full-time minister of the gospel, a, a pastor of the people. But when God reminded him of God's promise to redeem mankind, he didn't believe it. He's being told the promise, and, and Zechariah is like, I, I don't think that's going to happen, God. I think what we see here is that religious obedience and law following do not immunize the Christian from faithlessness. Let me say that again. Religious obedience, no matter how strict and perfect the uh, law following, no matter how flawless it is, it does not immunize us as believers from faithlessness. Being able to have faith is not something um, that we come on to Sunday morning and to top up our reservoirs of faith and then they last us the week. Faith is something that is done moment by moment by the grace of God. It is sheer dependence on God in order to have faith. And so the irony is that everything in Zechariah's life as a priest would be pointing toward this very thing that God is telling him is going to happen. But in this moment, his personal faith doesn't go any further than his religious actions, and he, he doesn't believe. Christmas is a time that we're reminded of a promise, and that promise is that Christ would bring reconciliation for all of us. Um, <clears throat> but part of that promise hasn't been fully played out yet. And as much as Christmas is about looking back at Christ and the work that he's done on the cross, it's also about looking forward to the final work at the end of time when, when, when Jesus fully defeats sin um, and death once and for all and we're finally brought into his kingdom. That, that's the whole promise. And that's what communion is. When we take communion on Sunday morning. See, we celebrate during Christmas the beginning of Jesus's life, but we do that because of what he accomplished at the end of his life on the cross. 
So on the, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and broke it, saying, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after dinner, he took the cup and said, this is the covenant of my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink of it. I think the question for us is, where, where are we at in regards to the promise this morning, the Christmas promise? My challenge for all of us is that it's not too late for us to hone our joy and our anticipation into the promise of Christmas. I'm not saying don't enjoy the fun and the fellowship and, and the gracious gifts that, that we'll receive or that we'll give, but I think like Zachariah, we're confronted with news of something far, far more exciting and joy-producing than, than just trinkets and eggnog. What's amazing to me um, in this story as we read it is that the promise made to Zechariah still plays out regardless of his faithlessness, regardless of his faithlessness. Elizabeth still conceives a child. Um, and they're old, right? So remember, like, they're old. They conceive a child. It's, it's a miraculous uh, thing that happens. Another thing that happens that is crazy to me um, is the angel's response to Zechariah's doubt, right? So this stuck out to me. I've read this a lot growing up in the church, but um, as I've looked closely and studied it this week, it's, it's significant. So when Zechariah asks, how could this happen? How could this even happen? Um, the angel answers him by saying, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you um, and to bring you this good news. And so Gabriel seems a little bit annoyed almost with his response, and, and as respectfully as I can put it, he kind of responds with um, a little angelic attitude, I think. Um, so he goes, uh, I stand in the presence of God, which is probably the highest level of credential you can flash on anybody. It's like, I stand next to God, uh, and he told me this to tell to you. But then what he does is he makes Zachariah mute, right? Which is basically like saying, hey, why don't you sit the next few plays out, buddy? Before you say anything else, I'm just going to stop you where you're at, um, and why don't you just watch as things unfold? Um, so joking aside, right? Zechariah is given even more grace. He's given even more grace. See, this good news, this gift, um, is not contingent upon his reaction or his faith. This wasn't a test like, if you believe in this, it will happen. No. The angel come and, comes and says, this is going to happen. Regardless of what you think, whether you doubt or you're excited, you're on board or you're not, it's going to happen. This good news is a gift, right? And God effectively sidelines him to make this point very clear that um, he has nothing to do with this story that's unfolding. So let's read on this, this, this last section, and we'll finish out for the morning. <clears throat> Verse 57. Now, the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and he bore, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and her relatives heard that the joy, I'm sorry, um, heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zachariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed and he spoke, Blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid, laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will, be, will this child be? For the hand of the Lord 
was with him. I'm going to skip his song. Elizabeth due date arrives as promised by God, <clears throat> and we've got this miraculous birth, right? The first of a couple in this book, um, but he, we have this exciting time for everybody who's involved. So their relatives are rallying around, their neighbors have heard about it, and they're all excited as well uh, because of the fact that it is such a tangible display of God's mercy on Elizabeth and Zachariah. And it comes time to name the boy um, who should be by default named Zachariah, just like his father because of the tradition of doing so at this time. It's also how the family name would be passed on into the next generation. But Elizabeth insists that the boy's name should be John, um, which is what the ordained name by God was revealed to, uh, to her and to Zachariah. And so when the people hear this, they're like, that doesn't make any sense. You, you, should, you should name the boy after you. This is, this is what you've been praying for. This is what you've been asking for, for a boy to carry on your name. And so they sign to John, which is funny because he's not deaf. You guys ever read that? So he must be like really frustrated during this 10 months. He's like, no, I, I can hear you. I just, I can't speak to you. But still, they're signing to him uh, and they're asking him, what, what should his name be? Do you, is your wife crazy? And so John asks for uh, a writing tablet, and he does something that's incredibly significant. He takes the tablet, and he writes down, his name is John. His name is John. And immediately, right, he's no longer mute, and the first words out of his mouth are praise and worship of God. Something happens in those four words as they're written down on a tablet. Zechariah, um, he has this beautiful moment of repentance here. A beautiful moment. We see this amazing transformation happening in his heart from, from a cold, doubtful heart to just a, a, a warm, heart-filled moment of faith for Zechariah. See, by communicating that the baby's name would be John, it does two things. It does two things. One, um, it affirms what God had said in his story, his, his prophecy. So it affirms um, that, that God's story was true, right? That, that he is he's giving credit to God for this story that's being played out in his life. And the second thing that it does is it's actually an act of great sacrifice to himself as he quite literally gives up his own personal legacy um, for the sake of God's story and God's legacy. What he's saying through this is saying, yes, God, your will be done at, at any cost, even giving up the one thing that I hoped and longed for, our son is your son, to do, to do what, whatever you will with him. My future and my legacy mean nothing when compared to the awesomeness and the glory of your legacy and your story. So the gift that you're giving us, we want to give it back to you, and we're going to name him whatever you want us to name him. Zechariah, he gets the second chance um, to put his faith in the story of God, and, and he nails it out of the park with four words. His name is John. And what happens what happens right after this? Well, he can talk again, right? It, it, it's like, okay, you, you said the right thing because now you can communicate with your mouth. And he starts worshiping and praising God. And we see a literal overflow of the Spirit uh, pouring out of Zechariah's mouth as he breaks into this pro prophetic song. So let me wrap this all back together. <clears throat> Pun intended. For Zechariah, um, his little baby John was like his Christmas gift, right? For Zechariah, this is the one thing he's been asking for uh, for a really long time. <clears throat> it 
But when Zechariah um, puts his faith in the story that was being told to him about what his gift actually pointed to, namely the birth of Jesus and the final redemption of mankind, um, that's when Zechariah's worship and his praise and his excitement and his joy was brought to a whole new level that he's ever experienced before. So he thought probably if he got a son, this would be awesome, right? And, and, and when he sees what that son is connected to as the larger redemptive story, I mean, he breaks out in song, quite literally. So tomorrow, as we enjoy gifts, I think that, that, that we should enjoy them, that, that we should appreciate them. Zachariah was obviously super excited and happy to finally have a son, to have a baby to hold in his hands, to nurture, to love, to take care of, to raise up. It was the one thing that he, you know, maybe subtly hinted at wanting for decades, for decades, and he finally gets it. But like Zachariah, let's look beyond our gifts and our trinkets of fun, right? And let's look at the imperishable, perfect gift of Jesus Christ um, that all of creation has been begging for since the fall of man. Not just hinting to for a couple decades or maybe the past year. Something that the all of creation has been yearning for since the beginning. In a moment, we're going to um, have communion so you can come up um, and you're going to form two lines and, and you're going to go out to the sides and, and circle back to your seats and you can do that at your own time. Remember that this is something... Um, that we get to celebrate because of the birth of Christ, which is something we get to celebrate tomorrow. Um, it's a full circle. So this is the end, right? Um, but tomorrow we get to celebrate the beginning of that story. And it's a, a beautiful cyclical story that we get to just continue to live out year after year after year until Jesus comes back. Um, so regardless of what gift or present you get, if you're a believer in Christ, this is the best present we will ever receive ever. And, and, and it's a gift, right? So we come down. You don't have to do anything for it. You put your, your faith and your trust in Jesus, um, and you get to put your hands out, and you receive it as a gift. So I encourage you to do so. If you have questions, there will be, uh, Robert will be in the back and some other people if you want prayer for anything. Um, today's the, the day to do that as well. Um, so let me pray for us, and we're going to sing some more songs, and, and let's worship God. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for Christmas. Eve, and <clears throat> we thank you that you're a very romantic God who loves to tell stories and build anticipation. Um, Lord, I pray that today, in, in all of our dealings and in all the things that we do today, um, that you would grow in us a joy and an anticipation in your story, God. I pray that we, as we're confronted with your promise, Lord, that you would um, allow us to rejoice in that promise. We thank you, Lord. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.